what was the first uh, cryptocurrency system breaking story you wanted to share with us today? Oh, most definitely, there are plenty, right? So because the world of crypto is so new, even today, at least outside of the like echo chambers where I live, Twitter. Could you tell us about some of the uh, best, worst NFT scams? Oh, yeah. Like right off the top of my head, not really a, like, okay, let's start with the scams. So there will be people reaching out to you on Discord or they would send you some NFT straight away. They say, hey, I sent you this NFT. You could claim it. When you try to claim it, you need to sign a transaction. Nobody verifies what the transaction is unless you are a very good developer. Do you, when, like, if you look at how consolidated the cryptocurrency exchanges are now, mm. um, how do you think it'll change You know, in the next decade? Then go towards more code-based exchanges like Uniswaps and SushiSwaps of the world, where it's not somebody holding this. Although like Uniswaps and SushiSwaps have their own set of vulnerabilities because the code doesn't know that the price of one Bitcoin is $40,000. It can be fooled into thinking that the price of one Bitcoin is $4 and it will proceed as you want. All right. So would you like to take this opportunity to share your private keys? Of course, of course, right? Private keys, the best area on like Twitter right now is if you are ever feeling lonely, tweet the word MetaMask, right? 100 people will automatically message you because these are all bots saying, hey, so are you trying to reach MetaMask support? Fill out this form. It has a very, not really a legit looking. It is a Google form. Asks you for a bunch of stuff that looks legit. The last question is, give me your secret key or like share your private key in there. Share your secret passphrase in there. Afternoon podcast. Thank you, Zoom Assistant. I am David Smook, Hacker Noon CEO. And today I'm here with someone who started as a Hacker Noon blockchain editor and now is running everything blockchain and business development at Hacker Noon. Utsab, what's going on in your part of the world? Hey, David. Thank you for having me on. I'm based out of Goa, India. And my part of the world is usually hot, it's wet and the electricity is erratic, but hopefully we'll make two. My part of the world is deciding whether winter <laughs> should end and spring should start, and spring started for a while, and then it snowed a lot. <laughs> and I'm actually in a Denver phone booth waiting yeah. out the storm. I've never seen but this anyway, Yeah. You never? No. Oh, wow. I'm Jeez, you're going to come to Colorado soon. I guess. I <laughs> The thing is, if you come here, it's better in the spring and summer, even mm. though there's no snow. People think about it for snow, but it's just like fresh air, high elevation, mm. uh, not too hot. A lot of t-shirt. I'm looking forward to wearing a t-shirt again every day. <laughs> Step outside in a t-shirt. <laughs> That's my ideal habitat. Right. And it makes sense. All right. Crypto hacks. Let's, uh, let's get into it. Um, what's on your mind here? What was the first uh, cryptocurrency system breaking story you wanted to share with us today? Oh, most definitely there are plenty, right? So because the world of crypto is so new, even today, at least outside of the like echo chambers where I live, Twitter, and it's very easy to get people to share their secret keys or whatnot. People have now learned, at least in the traditional Web2 world, that they shouldn't share their ATM pins, although sometimes people do. You don't share your like 
one-time passwords or those 2FAs that you get with your banking apps. But with crypto, it becomes decidedly harder for people to stay on track of things and which is where these scammers live. They have a multiplicity of ways by which they take over your wallets. And because it's decentralized, if they own your wallet, they own your crypto, right? Rule number one of crypto, not your keys, not your crypto. And they take your keys, becomes their wallet, take your money. Let's pause there for a moment on custodian. You know, this has historically been something that people want with money. They Mm. want to say there's a fall guy. Right. You know, so it's like basically you pay this tax, but like if the bank is robbed, they set up the insurance, you get your money back. It doesn't matter that you were robbed. You know what I mean? So there is like some level of uh, the value of the custodian that like maybe crypto is missing because all it is is one person, right? <laughs> yeah, who's willing to do some sort of insurance ratio risk business of like if I get robbed, I hold it for you. If I get you pay me a tiny cut, so I don't know. Uh, I don't. I just don't think that job will ever fully die. Um, mm. So and it gives you that fall man of if you get hacked, it's someone else's fault, <laughs> which is just like. Uh, Custodian is a strange word. I agree. And like it it depends on where you are. Like, for example, you guys in the US have the FDIC, which I presume ensures everything, right? It ensures the amount lost, let's say, if the bank gets robbed. In India, we have something called the DICGC. It only ensures you up to a total sum of one lakh rupees, including all of your like sub accounts or whatever you might have, because some people have joint accounts. So one lakh rupees for people not in the US is somewhere closer to 120, like 1200, no, $1,200 or like $12,000, something like that. That's all that's insured, right? One lakh rupees, one rupee, one dollar equals 70. By the government, like the government's institution of bank insurance? Yeah, yeah. That's what you get. And it's India, so there is a lot of bureaucratic red tape. And if you lose money, like you actually have lost money. So you don't get it back. In crypto, there are custodians like Hakanoon sponsor Coinbase. They also serve as the custodians. They like had their had their IPO. But in the DeFi side of things, what we are trying to do is replace the custodian with a piece of code. That code serves as the custodian, although code is very likely to get hacked, which is what happens, which is why we see hacks worth $600 million worth lost in minutes. For comparison, uh, so talking, are you talking about Axie Infinity? Yep, Axie Infinity, man. I love those guys. <laughs> I'm a holder, by the way, like, or a hardler. But, like, yeah, <laughs> what can I say? Like, yeah, that's the trade off. Like, you get a custodian which is backed by the government, which takes us back down the slope of backed by the government, which is what fiat means. Do we want that? Because then the bank says, hey, if you are trusting me, necessarily means government it means it's backed in some way that people believe fiat to me it's no intrinsic value in the asset Mm. but it's somehow all the other humans believe it's worth a similar amount and you can move it up and down so it doesn't like i i don't like the government's been the one to back currencies because it's convenient if Mm. your economy can't grow if a currency is not trusted if a currency is trusted that group will grow right 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 that makes sense And like trust is such a relative thing, right? Because you cannot quantify it. And the way we see it, at least in the crypto side is uh, banks usually say, hey, so you trust me or rather the 
government say, okay, because you are trusting me, trust us some more and let us print more money. So trust us to devalue your money to make your lives more, let's say, better or like to make your lives more prosperous. So inflation, like one to two percent, everybody agrees is good. But I guess the government kind of always had in its pocket before, like yes. if money, if money is to, no, but if money is totally devalued, yeah. the local business suffers, you know. So before, if the government didn't come in and provide the money. You know, the, 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 your own, like, you know, how much money you can, how much food you can eat, you know, how much food for your family changes. Uh, but now, like, if there's enough alternatives that you can just tap your phone and you can transfer a relative amount of value that you trust is very close to what you just gave up. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's what's changed in a hundred years. Like that's not, that's I don't think you would have to, you know, 50 years, you know, you still, I guess really before the phone, there really wasn't digital currency, right? I mean, it's mm. the early 90s. There's, there's been ideas and papers and it's been in sci-fi and digital cash. Like economists were talking about it in the 50s and the 60s. Mm. Like, but it did, no one like pictured it all together of just tapping <laughs> your phone. You know, maybe like now you can just walk into Amazon and you yeah. just, the Amazon grocery store and like, <laughs> you see this, <laughs> just getting afraid, afraid if they steal food, what's going to happen? <laughs> They're like, no, no, they just count the, the whole time. It's like, wow, that is creepy. Like, how many cameras, how, many, how does this whole thing work? Everything's counted all the time. All right, let's, maybe that brings us to rug pools. Uh, rug pool, P-U-L-L-S, not P-O-O-L-S. Right. You know. Although it is interesting, like, you get a group of rug pools and it becomes a rug pool. So, like, yeah, that's an idea for the scammers. <laughs> Oh, there's got to be some uh, startup mashup names in there between rug pools and rug pools and cash floating in uh, swimming pools. You can play with that brand. Most definitely. So how a rug pool usually works is what happens is they say, okay, so we make a cryptocurrency. It will change the world for you. They market the shit out of it. Get the people going. Think of what's happening with Dogecoin, right? Everybody is very bullish about Dogecoin. Elon Musk, probably the smartest man in the world, arguably, uh, shills it a lot because internet points matter to him. What happens with Dogecoin is, which is a copy of the Litecoin, which is a copy of the Bitcoin code. Dogecoin doesn't have a supply cap. So how do you value something which can be printed infinitely, which is being printed? The Federal Reserve in America has been running the same way. Right. But it's backed by the government. The government is elected by the people. They get to choose, okay, whoever. Yeah, who, who does choose if another Dogecoin is issued? How does, how does that work? It works based on probably the code, probably some foundation. Like, I am not the expert on this, but like, it's usually a group of people. It is not a piece of code that does that, but like, yeah, when it happens, more currency gets, let's say, emitted into the market. So now- I've always, Yeah, I've, I always loved money supply. Like the idea that money supply could be unlimited is an insane. Like, I guess in the long run, yeah, maybe humans grow so fast, the supply has to grow so fast. But uh, I think the Bitcoin approach of telling everyone what the money supply will be at an absolute max, and you can further divide these assets if you want. We can't go up above 21 million Bitcoins, but you can make a Satoshi smaller and smaller and get more divisions of the primary asset. But what you know is at the top, the very primary asset has exactly this maximum money supply. And that allows everyone to, to measure value at the top. 
If you mm. can't measure what the money supply is and you can measure all the demand, you don't know how much things should cost. Mm. So like this at least kind of gives you the baseline of how much is all of the Bitcoin worth? You know, at least you can get the first primary level asset, mm. multiply the supply by the price of it. And right. that's not even counting all these economies down line, you know, building on top of it and making subcurrencies backed by it or other assets backed by it. But just the core like that, that just allows the average man to know much more about the money supply than was ever known. And if you know mm. the top level money supply, you can judge uh, what the price of things should be much better. Most definitely. Most definitely. So that is like the idea behind how to create coins. What a rug pull does is that when they have raised a lot of money or when they have gotten certain amount of people to buy it, let's say I create 10 pieces of a glass and I find somebody to buy all of them. I say, hey, so I will not make any more glasses. These are the only 10 sets and you can buy five of them from me for some amount of money. You choose to buy it for an exorbitant amount because you are a collector, but then I create 50 more and I dump all of it into the market. What that ends up happening is devaluing the glasses that you have. So that is the problem with drug pulls. They create such a huge supply. And usually they say that we will not sell it or whatnot. Sometimes the code is faulty by itself. So when you get people to buy or you get the next sucker to buy and then you dump all of your holdings, that becomes a rug. Yeah. Kind of like a Ponzi scheme. Not really, not really <laughs> a Ponzi scheme, but like a like a, a PND. Call it something like uh, supply manipulation. Right, something exactly. Range. Like if you can control the supply, you just you know who you, you're gonna hurt past buyers, past current holders, unless the demand is there and people want really. your next 50 glasses. And the you know, the, the, that's like so as the thing gets bigger, you know, it's, it's a two-sided market. But let's we're also kind of getting at the topic of scarcity here. And I think over the last year in digital publishing, I mean, NFTs have kind of been the brown, uh, groundbreaking in digital scarcity. Mm. And they're able to say how in demand is this item, how rare, like the items that are really selling, you know, it's because people want a hundred of them and they're only selling one, you know, right. or they want a million and they're selling 10, you right. know? So that's where you get like the... Um, just a lot more buyers and a lot mm. bigger prices. Um, but, you know, with an emerging market comes the scams. And so you're our local pessimist. So I guess I would ask you, could you tell us about some of the uh, best, worst NFT scams? Oh, yeah. Like right off the top of my head. Not really. A, like, okay, let's start with the scams. So there will be people reaching out to you on Discord, or they would send you some NFT straight away. They say, hey, I sent you this NFT. You could claim it. When you try to claim it, you need to sign a transaction. Nobody verifies what the transaction is unless you are a very good developer. Usually, nobody is. So now what happens is when you sign the transaction, you basically sign away the rights to your wallet in a very brief nutshell, a lot of paraphrasing in there. But what you end up doing is you sign away your wallet to somebody else. So now what that somebody else does is takes away whatever ape or NFTs or crypto you had in that wallet. It essentially becomes theirs. Like, like for example, OpenSea, one of the largest markets right now, probably the largest market right now for NFTs, got exploited for this very feature. What it did basically was listing people's NFTs for sale for whatever value the hacker wanted to sell it to. So imagine if you had a board ape, a board ape yacht club. Um, Should I just say 
Ready, yeah. set, go. NFT scams on the top of your mind. Best, worst, most awful, most innovative. Right. I'll go with the most innovative ones because they blew my mind. They were like, they'll send you an, an NFT or a message saying, hey, this is your NFT. I'm giving it to you for free. Most people try to claim it. And what happens next is when you sign the transaction in a paraphrased nutshell, what you end up doing is signing away your wallet to somebody else. They take your NFTs, they take your crypto, and now it says wow. the largest platform right now, OpenSea, like recently got exploited for something similar. It could allow people to list NFTs that were hundreds of Ethereum in prices for as low as $120 or something like that. But at hmm. the other end, there is human stupidity. So I don't want to say like stupidity, I want to use the word gullibility or like whatever. So there was somebody who had an abode. I think it's just human error. It's human error, right? Thank you. Human error. Yeah. <laughs> right. So somebody wanted to sell their their board at 120 ETH. Unfortunately, he listed it at 120 dollars. Wow. Right. So <laughs> one ETH is about three thousand dollars right now. More than that, but yeah. So <laughs> it got sold instantly because somebody was like, "Okay, why not?" Second human rule. Gotta have Second someone rule. else review that before you hit post. The internet is a scary place. It is, it is. People have algorithms trolling quite like the ether scams for these faulty transactions. Like there are automated bots doing that. Ethereum is called the dark forest, just as you mentioned. Like it is called like that, like trades like that get sniped like that. Vitalik Buterin cannot send one Ethereum from one of his wallets to another because people are watching his wallet and whatever he tries to sell, people try to front run it. <laughs> Jeez. Good, right? Who's, who's, becomes, doing, who's doing that level of pettiness? Who's the person actually front running, sending these wallets to... To slow it, to slow it down. Right. It's usually very motivated people who are like, let's say, tracking with Alex wallet. Like, what tokens is he buying? Because if he's yeah. buying something, he's usually getting it a lot. And every major influencer who has his crypto wallet is tracked. People track them because they want to copy their trades or whatnot. That's the beauty and the fault. Yeah, I, I would say the growth of the .eth domains is a direct reaction to this. You know, you get, you know, payments to track to a wallet. If people are already tracking it, let's flip it and say, it's cool to track my payments and you can get there quicker now instead of this long series of code and going through everyone else's different scanners and wallet tools, just, you know, do smook.eth. I agree. And it's like, had it been more, uh, let's say, egalitarian or like, let's say not a first come first serve kind of a thing, I would have been on board. Like, there are people squatting domains for no reason at all. They have, there is no, like, at least in the normal internet, if there is an intellectual property. You hey, own, where is the normal internet? Where is the normal internet? Okay, so normal yeah. internet for us is like Web2. Whatever is within <laughs> the realm of Googles and Facebooks and Twitters of the world. <laughs> but yeah, I guess because I am that old, that for me, what we see or what we used to see a year ago is now normal. <laughs> and what do you think the government of Ethiopia, you know, dot ETH, what do you think they think of their governmental domain is now an Ethereum ending? Right. So because unfortunately, Ethiopia is a very poor country and Ethereum people, at least from what I heard, are in talks with them to get the government to never use it. <laughs> 
So they are bribing mm-hmm. the government every time, allegedly, to not use the .eth domain ever. Imagine if somebody tried to get the US government to say, okay, so you... What a crazy licensing deal. Yeah. Is, but this is, this is just a crazy licensing deal. They're like, it's more valuable for us to get paid by the Ethereum community to keep the, to let them have this, this three-letter combination than it is for us to grow up our internet presence as a country in the the dotty structure like it's a crazy trade-off um big big time decision there's this country or rather this principality or jurisdiction british indian ocean territories biot's they own the dot io domain and sometimes five years ago everybody thought dot io sounded more technical and yeah. whenever the world <laughs> We're all about that input output. Yeah. It keeps that country or that principality or jurisdiction afloat. Just the sales of these data you domain. What does your country run on? My country runs on export of software, of grains, whatnot. What does your country run on? Export and import of stuff. What do they run on? Domains. <laughs> Who sells domains? <laughs> My God, these people. But yeah. I mean, that's I, but long term, the position of digital assets being your primary export, that sounds like it's going to work. Mm. Uh, so like, I mean, imagine instead of, you know, your artists like repainting other people's hotel paint, you know, like doing a painting, put it in a hotel room and you're just imitating. Mm. If you encourage those artists right now to start creating things that are original and then the export is like the increased demand for their digital assets. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> you know, it's worth like, it. Yeah, it's worth it. It would be decentralized. So like, yes, more power to the people. Sotheby's, their entire business model is what they usually buy stuff on the cheap and sell it at a very expensive price. So that's what they try to do. Let's talk about some fake exchanges. These cryptocurrency exchanges are doing Super Bowl commercials. And then there's like a million other ones and 25 different levels of decentralization or use your credit card, whichever one you prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us about some of the um, best and worst um, exchange hacks in cryptocurrency? cryptocurrency heist, you know, in uh, recent history? Most definitely. To learn about this, I put in $50 of my own money to find out like where the rabbit hole led. So what start, it starts off as a message to you, maybe over Telegram or like Discord saying, hey, so we are a channel who are a small exchange and we can manipulate the prices. Like some people outright know it's a scam. Some people fall for it because money makes people stop thinking. So I was like, let's see what they do. So they took me to their exchange. They were like, deposit money into this particular wallet address and it will show up just as in a normal crypto exchange. And by that time, you wouldn't you wouldn't have any idea of knowing whether it's a fake crypto exchange or a real crypto exchange. What you can do to find out whether it's legit or not, go check that wallet address on Etherscan or any of the explorers that exist. Usually, if it's a scam address, it would have comments at the bottom from the people that it's a fake exchange. So when I deposited $50 into that account, it immediately got transferred to some other wallet address. But to me, on the dashboard, it was saying you have $50 worth of crypto or whatnot. You could trade it. So that's one part of the scam where they took away $50 of my money. Then they were like, now we'll raise the amount of tokens that you have by doing our hocus pocus or magic or 
pump a coin or whatnot. You trade it. It's just a front-end thing. Nothing happens at the exchange level. At the end of the day, they'll say, okay, so now on your $50, you made a $5,000, a 5,000% profit. And to withdraw that, you need to give us 0.1 BTC, right? That's the second arm of the scam. They weren't happy with just taking whatever money people like put in. They had an entire funnel to it. So they were like, if you deposit 0.1 BTC to me, you can withdraw your money again. And that's how these scams work. Like they take money from people, usually gullible people. And like, I don't want to get into how that works, but like, yeah. Mm. So that's how exchanges usually function. They copy the code of a, an exchange doing well, replicate its features, but put in checks and places where they can withdraw your money on your behalf. The irony of these exchanges is like the business model works the best in a monopoly. And then, you know, there's all these competitors and they're like, you know, like, but it's also one where the more money you have, the more money you have in reserves, the easier it is to do riskier trades, newer coins, mm. like newer offerings. So like, there's a clear advantage to, you know, capital accumulation in this industry. Do you, when, like, if you look at how consolidated the cryptocurrency exchanges are now, mm. um, how do you think it'll change, you know, in the next decade? Then go towards more code-based exchanges like Uniswaps and SushiSwaps of the world, where it's not somebody holding this. Although like Uniswaps and SushiSwaps have their own set of vulnerabilities because the code doesn't know that the price of one Bitcoin is $40,000. It can be fooled into thinking that the price of one Bitcoin is $4 and it will proceed as you want and somebody makes off with that money. Benefit that these Binances have, going back to the wonderful point that you brought up earlier about custodians. When Binance get, gets hacked, the CEO just has to say funds are safe, like safe under whatever. He uses the word safe. And people know that, okay, even if the exchange got, gets hacked, they have enough money in reserves to like make people whole is what they say in the world of crypto. We will make you whole. But at the end of the day, what if that reserve gets hacked? Because it's also <laughs> crypto. <laughs> also, it's like is your reserve the FDIC? Like, okay, the big solution here is to do the same thing that the government conclusion they <laughs> reached. <laughs> we have another pool of money in case the small ones get hit and we pull from yeah. that. It's like, okay, I guess, I guess that's how it works. <laughs> right? The more crypto grows, the more people come to realize that the governments were not really very bad because they're ending up making the same decisions. Censorship? is back, right? Holding money in reserves is back. It's Making like if sure. inflation is, you know, and not knowing what a dollar is worth is bad. You know, if, if exactly. the government has kept the currency relatively stable, like they did a lot of work to reach that point. It's very hard to keep these things stable. Mm. And if they get the smartest people in the room or rather the entire, like, entire country to figure out what the monetary policy should be. Should I increase lending rates by 0.5%? <laughs> <laughs> it's a big choice, man. It's you can't laugh about that stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. And they have such fancy words for it, like increase it by 50 basis points. And it's like 0.5%, okay? But yeah, it's the a basis point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the startups will use it too. So instead of mm. saying you own 0.2%, they'll say you have 20 basis points, which sounds like a lot more ownership, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like I'd rather know my relation to the pie, even if it's small. I'd rather just know like, 
okay, that's how much to the pie. I get it. I'm new here. <laughs> right. But yeah, like, as you said it, like, very rightly, like, no one really knows what's going to happen. There's no such thing as the normal internet. Scams happen inside and outside of crypto. And maybe, like, that's where we are, like, which is why some people think it's okay to be under the umbrella of the government than be under this dark forest where I could get sniped anytime. Like, can I sleep easier at night thinking my money is safe? Or can I sleep easier at night thinking that, okay, my money is in MetaMask, but if I live in Venezuela, I can get blocked. Those people got blocked. Oh my gosh. Venezuela has really been at the heart of a lot of these cryptocurrency stories. Yeah. It's more of a political thing and I don't get the logic behind it in my libertarian mindset that why punish the people for the actions of the few? Because those few are already exploiting the people. (laughs) The foreign powers come in to exploit the people even more. You can't buy your stuff. You need to migrate. Like 63% or like 52% was the last when I checked inflation in Argentina. Like 52% is like what? Your price of stuff is doubling every two days. That's so crazy. I mean, how do you how do you buy food? You probably like those people are, at least I get told in my little Bitcoin echo chamber, everybody over there uses Bitcoin. But I have some friends over there. A burger costs like 15,000 pesos. Salaries over there in millions of pesos amounts to what? A few thousand dollars, maybe a thousand dollars, 7.9 something million pesos so before there was bitcoin they would have to go all the way back to barter system like if inflation gets too high where you can't do it you have to bring your goods and try and Mm -hmm. trade that way so like there is this goldilocks something area you know if the government's stable is too unstable you have digital currency as opposed to going back like a whole nother economic you know exchange level we have to barter And I still like barter. I love bartering. It makes sense. <laughs> not like, That's not really like haggling over low prices, but I do like the idea of like trading like a lot of software for a lot of software. Most definitely, even at the local level, right? I just moved into this house. I had no stuff. And if I need something, I just go to the neighbors and like take it from them. Like, is that not barter? Like I usually <laughs> ask for it. Sometimes I but you, it. You, you come with an offering too. You have to offer them before you ask, right? Yeah. Like what I did was there was this broken, like some skylight on top. I got that fixed. I didn't ask them, like, I didn't ask them to share money or like share the cost of that. And I was like, in return, I can come over to your place for dinner anytime I want. <laughs> Yeah, so this light, it was like broken and it was valuable to this group of houses here. Exactly. It was a skylight. It was just between me and my like immediate neighbor. And yeah, so I paid for it. It wasn't even a lot of money. And they were like, yeah, come over for dinner anytime you want, anytime of the year. I'm like, fine. Is that not barter? That works. I think that's good first. You just knew it would come back good. And it's selfish because you share the light. So like, you're also fixing it for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. And with countries like Argentina or even Zimbabwe, so they had an intermediary step. They started Mm -hmm. using the US dollar. The problem Mm -hmm. that was, again, the supply was like controlled. You needed to have fiat because you couldn't put that in the banks because the banks won't let you withdraw your money. So they needed to have it in cash form. When you have it in cash form, the sellers were selling it at exorbitant markups. USD was 20% more expensive in Argentina than anywhere else in the world. Hmm. So yeah, like so for these problems, like these things, 
that usually happen because there is a human element involved, Bitcoin tries to fix that. But Bitcoin has its own set of human problems and a whole set of code problems. So, like, yeah, coming back to the point, like no one really knows what's going on, which is why we're here. All right. So would you like to take this opportunity to share your private keys? Of course, of course, right? Private keys, the best story on like Twitter right now is if you are ever feeling lonely, tweet the word MetaMask, right? 100 people will automatically message you because these are all bots saying, hey, so are you trying to reach MetaMask support? Fill out this form. It has a very, not really a legit looking. It is a Google form. Asks you for a bunch of stuff that looks legit. The last question is, give me your secret key or like share your private key in there. Share your secret passphrase in there. People think it's a legit thing. They share it. Once it's shared, it's gone. Phishing's never going to die. It's just going to keep changing. Um, It's sad, but... Yeah, it is what it is. Like so many other types of scams, they'll send you their own private key. So you would think, okay, that makes sense, but that's a scam too. So what they'll do is they'll say, hey, so I'm in, let's say the current bad guy is Russia. So they'll say, I'm in Russia. My government is not letting me trade my crypto. I'm giving you my private keys. Do with it whatever you want. What could Mm -hmm. go wrong? So they're like wallets, when you access it, you'll see it has about $1,000 in it or $2,000 in it in various small other altcoin currencies. You'll think, okay, that's free money for me. What could be the problem? So wait, wait, let me guess. Let me guess. Of the altcoins, what type of asset is some of that? Like that's the Trojan horse in there. That's what is it? It is very close. It is very close. Sometimes it is that, but most scammers are not as sophisticated as you think. So what they do is they send you the private key, but the wallet doesn't have gas fees to pay for it. So you don't have Ethereum for it. So you think, okay, sending money to my own wallet is going to cost me $50. I'll put in $75 because I want to put in gas and then withdraw money. So so sometimes they'll put in $50, $75. As soon as they put that in, that gets withdrawn. So by giving people the bait of $2,000, people take away $75 from them. And that is some of the scams that I have been trying to follow and find like, how can we be more knowledgeable about these things. Hopefully the people seeing this are now more, more informed and more aware of these scams. Thanks to Hakanun. And if you made it to this point in the podcast, we apologize for no microphones. I'm currently in a phone booth in Denver. Phone booths still exist. And Atsav's microphone is in transit. Uh, so, you know, hopefully the next time you hear these sultry voices will be much crisper and clearer. And less sultry. <laughs> Thank you and good night. Have a good one, guys. And thank you for having podcast. Afternoon podcast.